Thank you, ladies, for that opening music. Good morning, everybody. Oh, that was terrible. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, thank you. I'd also like to extend a warm welcome to everybody listening on the radio. Thank you for spending part of your morning with us. Before we get started, I have some opening announcements. The Rose on the Altar is in honor of Orville and Bonnie Height, who will be celebrating 50 years of marriage on August 24th. Congratulations. We have a guest musician with us this morning. We welcome Kay Nolte's sister, Jane Shoemaker, back to First Church as our guest musician. It's always great um, and a joy to see Kay and Jane together at the keyboard. Thank you, ladies. Um, there will be a ministry fair next Sunday uh, over in the Heritage Center. I'm sorry, the Heritage Room. Excuse me. Um, it will be cleared out and there will be presentations on upcoming ministries and ways to serve at First Church in the next year. There will be coffee and refreshments and the chairs will be cleared out and there will be no room to sit in there during service. On Sunday, September 2nd at 8 a.m. before church, we will wrap up the 40-day prayer covenant with a 45-minute guided prayer service. And if you can't be here right at 8, There will be prayer going on for the whole 45 minutes. Just show up when you can, and there will be room to pray as well. At this time, I'd like to invite Connie up to talk about a new class that we are offering this fall. Thank you, Jake. Um, I'm so excited about this, you guys. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Dave Ramsey. Um, And for our radio listeners, um, this is for you as well. This is going to be open to the public. Um, We are going to be offering Financial Peace University here at First Church. Um, If you listen to Dave Ramsey at all, he's a uh, radio uh, syndicated uh, financial expert. He likes to say his program is about um, handling handling money God and Grandma's way. Um, So anyway, um, it's a course on so many things that it's about getting out of debt, um, building financial peace and learning how to live and give like no one else. So really excited about this. It is nine weeks. We're going to start September 16th and it will run through November 11th and it's going to be Sunday nights from six, no, yes, 6.30 to 8 p.m. There is a cost that comes along with this and the church has already stepped out and purchased 10 kits. So if you are interested in one of those, come see me afterwards. I have six left. So we've already seen some nice interest in this. Um, For our radio listeners, again, this is open to the public. So head over to our website at firstchurchnk.org, and you can register there. Um, Again, if any of you guys are interested, you know, this is for any age group. Um, You might think, this really doesn't apply to me, but it's, it's great for any age. And it's also a great thing to give as a gift. So if there's a young couple in your life that you think you might like to bless with this, come see me and we can talk about that too. So again, September 16th through November 11th, Sunday nights, 6.30 to 11. Thank you, Connie. There are many other uh, announcements and things to look over. In your handout, I encourage you all to look over them in your own time. 
At this time, I'd like everyone to please stand and bow your heads for our opening prayer. God of love, plant us in the soil of your grace. Nurture us with the strength of Christ, the vine of everlasting life. Enlighten us with the wisdom of your spirit, which flows through us today and all days. Abide in us that we may abide in you and live in your love. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Please open your blue hymnals to 211 and we'll sing, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. As the children come forward for a children's chat, please take your time to greet your neighbor, 
give him a firm handshake or a big hug. Good morning. Oh, my. You guys are asleep like everybody else when Jake said good morning this morning. I think we need to try again. Good morning. What happens on Tuesday? Excellent. That's what I love to hear. I am excited, too. And I keep sleeping in too late. Oh, yes. We better practice going to bed earlier at night so we can wake up earlier in the morning. Yes. Well, sometimes to get through the first day of something, we need a survival kit. So Tori and I today have a survival kit that we're going to share with you guys. Okay? So... What do we have first? The first thing we have is a toothpick. Let me find it. To remind you to pick out the good qualities in others. What are some things we look for in good friends? What is something that would be you would want your good friend to have? God. You would want them to believe in God? Okay. What else? I would... I wouldn't want Henry to stop wrestling me anymore. Oh, yeah. Yep. you got to have somebody that you can have fun with, huh? you got to have somebody that you can have fun with, somebody that it, you can trust, because maybe you have a secret that you need to tell. Okay. I'm full of secrets. Excellent. <laughs> so the next thing that we have in our survival guide is a rubber band. To remind us that we need to be flexible. Things aren't always going to go our way, but it's going to work out. And so we need to be flexible. Okay? That's an important one. We've got to be flexible. Okay, the next thing in our survival kit is a Band-Aid. To remind you to heal, to heal hurt feelings, yours or someone else's. So you've got to remind yourself to always be kind and compassionate to everybody else and only say the say things that you would want to be said to you okay Ooh, next one is the big one in here what's this pencil. a pencil okay to remind you to list your blessings every day what are your blessings what are blessings no idea Okay, list things that you're thankful for. Okay, your blessings are things that you're thankful for. Evan, what's something you're thankful for? Your family. Good, good. So there are lots of things we're thankful for. A good day at school that we were able to study for our test and we did good. Yeah. Yeah. All right, the next one is an eraser to remind you that everyone makes mistakes and it's okay. Because is anybody perfect? No. No. So it's okay to, only God, it's okay to make mistakes. All right. Next thing we have in here is bubble gum, chewing gum, to remind you to stick with it. You can accomplish anything with Jesus. Okay? Things are going to get hard. You're going to come across a math problem you're just not sure how to do, but stick with it. You're going to be able to figure it out. Okay? Stick with it. And maybe send a little prayer up and he'll help you out. Next thing is a mint. To remind you that you are worth a mint to your Heavenly Father. Okay? You're important to God. Okay? That's what it means to be worth a mint. It's kind of an old-fashioned saying. 
But to be worth, you are important to God. You are priceless to God. You're worth a lot. Okay? And the last one that we have in here is a candy hug. A candy hug. To remind you that everyone needs a hug every day. Okay? Whether that be your teacher or your mom or your dad. Okay? The lunch ladies love hugs. Okay? So, remember, hugs are important because sometimes when you give that hug, you feel really good inside, and then maybe you're the one receiving that hug. And it's sometimes we just all need a hug. All right. So, we're going to say a quick prayer, and then we have a survival kit for everybody to take home with them today. Okay? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for fall. Thank you for back to school. Be with us this week. Yes, you do. Thank you that everyone is here together and that we are ready for the first day of school. And please be with us. Help us to be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody grab a back to school survival kit. You can take Killed this week in Helmand Province, Afghanistan, Staff Sergeant Raymond Raragal Transfiguracion, 36, from Waiakaloa, Hawaii. Also lost at Joint Base Lewis-McChord Base in Washington, Sergeant Joseph Martin, 25, from Clarkstown, Michigan, and Sergeant Lewis Clay, 28, from Mill Ridge, Georgia. Thank you, Jay and Maria. And thank you, Maria and Tori, uh, for the awesome children's chat this morning. I think we all need one of those survival kits, just to remind us of what's important. Um, but let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us all here today to worship you together as one body of believers united in your name. God, you promise in your word that where two or more are gathered, that you are there. And Lord, we know that you are here this morning, and we ask for your Holy Spirit to come down and to fill us as we worship you this morning. God, we pray for all of those going back to school this week. We pray for our teachers and our administration that work tirelessly to teach the young people in our community and around the country, Lord. And God, I just pray that as families get ready for the school year, that you would just remind them uh, to stay connected to you, Lord, to um, just be your hands and feet as they go to school and as um, they... Uh, teach our kids, Lord, and I just thank you so much for the opportunity that we all have to go to school um, and to learn. And God, I just pray that you would be with them as the school year starts. God, some of us come to you today with heavy hearts and carrying burdens that we not, we're not sure what to do with. We thank, that, we thank you that you are the great comforter, the healer, and our sustainer. And you never intended us for us to face these things alone, and for that we are grateful. And God, we lift up our concerns to you. We lift up those who are on our cares and concerns list. 
We know that you are walking with them and with those who are carrying heavy loads. I pray that you would make your comfort known and bring your peace in only a way that you can. God, others come in distracted by things that have happened throughout the week or maybe even distracted by the coming school year. And I pray that you would remove those distractions so that we can focus on you this morning. Uh, God, we come before you today wanting to, wanting to connect with you, to know you better, and to experience your love even more. We ask that you would provide us with ways this morning to know you and to be known by you. I ask that you would reveal yourselves to us this morning, and we thank you for the way that you teach and lead and guide us. And I pray that as we focus on you in these next moments, that you would speak to our hearts. Amen. I'd invite the deacons to come forward for this morning's offering. And as the deacons come forward, Kay and Jane will bless us with some music again.
Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and the Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory. That you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And now our next hymn is number 345, Blessed Assurance.
be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for bringing us together this morning. We thank you for uh, being the one true vine that we can be connected to, Lord. And God, I pray in these next moments as we look at what it means to be connected to you, that you would just speak to our hearts, Lord. Uh, that you would remind us that we are yours and that we are meant to be connected to you. God, I pray that you would be big and I would be little in these next moments and that uh, the words that I say would be pleasing to you, Lord, um, and that they would resonate with us all. Amen. So Pastor Joel is out of town. He's officiating his sister-in-law's wedding. And so I have the opportunity to be up here once again sharing with you all, and I am very excited to do that. But hopefully by now y'all know that I really love my job. I love preaching. That's kind of fun, (laughs) as nerve-wracking as it is leading up to it. But one of my favorite things about being a youth pastor is that I have the opportunity to take our students every summer on a trip of some kind. And so now that I've been here for three years, I've had the privilege to take our students on four really great trips. The, last, the first summer I was here, we went to Detroit for our mission trip. Last summer, we went to Young Life Camp and to Steubensville for a mission trip. And then this summer, we decided as a group to stay, stay home and serve locally. And all of these trips have been great and impactful in their own way. But every year as we start to prepare for our summer trip, we have a meeting. And at that first meeting, I always tell our students that there are absolutely no cell phones allowed on our trips. And usually when I tell them they cannot bring their cell phones, I'm met with a little bit of resistance every year. And I usually have one or two students ask, well, you know, I like to listen to music before I go to bed. It really helps me to relax. Can I just have my phone at night before we fall asleep? Or I have another student say, well, Tori, it's like a four-hour car ride. What are we supposed to do for four hours? And so usually, and after that, I'm like, sorry, you can't bring it. No cell phones, absolutely not. And every year before these, the, the first mission trip or trip meeting, I always ask myself, is it really worth fighting the no cell phone battle this year? Is this the year that I'm going to give in and say, sure, you can bring your cell phones, it's fine. And every year when we go on these trips, I'm reminded of why I tell them no phones. And I'm reminded that the no phone battle is totally worth the fight. And, you know, I don't, I don't make them not bring their phones because I want to be mean and I want to disconnect them from their world back home and their parents. That's not my intention. I know that students miss their parents, and we do have the opportunity to call home. But I enforce that rule because I want our students to be present on the trip. I want them to have the ability to connect deeply to God and to each other. And I've learned over the past seven years of doing vocational youth ministry is that something amazing happens when you remove the thing that they are connected to the most. All of a sudden, our students start hanging out with people they wouldn't have hung out with before. They connect to each other as a group, and they even step out of their comfort zones and form new relationships. And usually by the end of those trips, if we're traveling with other groups, they come home with best friends that they never would have had had they been focused on their cell phones. And I'm always amazed at how much I learn about our students on our trip. They share things with me and during our group times that I'd never known before. 
And by enforcing the no cell phone rule every year, it forces our students to intentionally unplug, to connect, and to be present with each other. And sometimes, by the end of the trip, I usually have one or two students that says, well, that wasn't really that hard to leave my phone. It was kind of nice to be unplugged. And I think to myself, wow, what a concept. I knew you would survive. (laughs) But, you know, we live in a world that we can be connected to anyone and anything at a moment's notice. To give you an idea of just how connected you are, if you have a smartphone in your pocket or your purse, here are a couple of statistics. So now there are over 7.2 billion people on this planet. Three billion of those people are active Internet users. So that's roughly 45% of the world's population. 3.65 billion people access the Internet through their phones or tablets. 1.4 billion people use Facebook. Five million tweets and Facebook messages are sent daily. And there are over 100 million Snapchat users. Now, those are some interesting statistics, but they don't surprise me at all. Because at any given moment, I can jump on my phone and figure out where my mom is traveling to for business. I can check in on my cousins out in California. And I can call my best friend Linda and see her face when she lives in Chicago and I live here in Ohio. And it's amazing to see how far technology has come and how connected we are today. But I'm not always convinced that being this connected is a good thing. This summer, I've been reading a lot of books on the next generation of kids, more formally known as Generation Z. And one theme that I've noticed throughout these books is that Generation Z is the most connected generation that we have ever had. They don't remember a time where they couldn't access Internet on a phone or a tablet. They don't remember the pain they had to go through when your mom wanted to make a call and you were using the Internet. Um, But even though they have this ability to connect to anything and everyone at a moment's notice, they struggle more with feeling isolated, alone, anxious, and depressed than any other generation we've ever seen That because they are so connected. This generation of kids has so many friends and followers on social media, but at the end of the day, some of them are left wondering who their real friends are. And you know, it breaks my heart to read things like this. This is not something I read in just one book. It's over and over again in the books that I've been reading. And it breaks my heart because these are our kids. These are the kids that I work with that feel this way. And it makes me so sad to know that that is how they're feeling. But, you know, I don't think it's just a Generation Z problem. I think it's a problem that we all face. That we are so connected to everyone and everything that we've actually lost the ability to truly connect and, you know, I found myself asking myself, asking the question of when was the last time I sat down without my phone and had just a good old heart-to-heart with one of my best friends? Or when was the last time I turned off my phone to connect to the people around me or to connect to God? Because, really, true connection cannot be found in an app or through a screen. And as much as I love having the Internet in the back pocket and having the world at my fingertips, It really makes me ask the question, are we losing the ability to truly connect? Because we were created to connect. God specifically designed in every single one of us the longing for true connection. 
And we can't find true connection with him or with each other through an app or through the Internet. We can only find true connection through being in intentional relationships. And Jesus, Jesus was all about connecting. Anytime he went to a town, he always wanted to know where the people were. He wanted to go connect to the people right when he pulled into town. And in John 15, Jesus wanted to take some time to connect with the disciples in the upper room. He and the disciples had essentially just gotten back from the mission trip of a lifetime. They had been traveling together for a couple years. They had been doing amazing things for the kingdom of God. And during that time, the disciples had the ability to be directly connected to Christ in a way that we will never be able to experience. They were connected to him physically. He was there. They could ask him to pray for them, or they could walk along, along the road with him. They were so connected to Christ. And Jesus knew that his death was coming. He knew that that physical connection that he had with them was going to be gone. And so he took the opportunity to remind them that even though he was going to be leaving them, even though death was, his death was coming, that their connection and their relationship was not going to be lost for good. Christ is leaving up behind the disciples physically, but they're not going to be abandoned. He is sending his spirit to dwell in them, to dwell in their hearts, uniting them with himself and with one another. And the disciples now will be able to be connected to him in a way that they never were before because his spirit will be living inside of them. And to help the disciples understand this new connection that was going to be formed, they, that, that they were going to enter into with him after his death, he uses the image of a vine and branches. And he begins by saying, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. And so Jesus identifies himself as the one true vine. And the fact that he identifies himself this way is actually pretty profound, because he's essentially shifting the way the disciples would have viewed their relationship with him and with the father. The vineyard metaphor that Jesus used is one of the most popular images in Judaism, and it shows God's relationship with his people. So instead of describing God's people as planted individual vines rooted in the soil of Israel, Jesus describes them as branches attached to him, the one true vine. And it is through this new relationship that an organic, life-giving connection is formed. We become branches rooted in the life-giving vine of Christ and cared for by God, the master gardener. And when we are connected to the vine, God begins the work of transforming us to be more and more like him every single day. True transformation happens in our lives when we are connected to the vine and when we allow God to begin the pruning process in our hearts and in our lives. So Jesus then goes on to describe in verses 2 and 3 this pruning process. And it's a pruning process that God takes us, to, takes us through when we are committed to remaining in the vine. He says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So you'll notice in these verses that Jesus describes two different types of pruning that God is going to take us through when we are connected to the vine. The first type of pruning is the going in and cutting out 
every branch that does not produce fruit. So God comes in and just hacks away things that does not produce fruit. And in order for any plant to bear fruit, the dead branches that infect the rest of the plant have to be hacked off, right? And the same is true for us. When we are connected to Christ, God has to come in and he has to hack away those things in us that are keeping us from being connected to him. And God gently brings those things to the surface in our life and he walks with us through getting rid of and letting go of the things that do not reflect our newfound connection in Christ. God is cleansing us to prepare us to produce fruit by helping us to get rid of the branches that don't reflect him. So I'm going to be honest with you guys for a minute. This past year, God has been taking me through this type of pruning. So Jake and I are coming up on our one-year marriage anniversary. And this year, this first year of marriage for us has been awesome. It has been so much fun to be married, to do life together, and it's just been a huge blessing. But it's also been hard, like a lot harder than I thought it would be. And I think God has taken us through this pruning process, especially me. And one thing that he has been trying to prune me of is my need for control. I am a type A personality. I like to be in control at all times. I like to have everything right under my thumb and know what's going on. And I think it's a good quality to have when you're working with students. You know, you have to have some semblance of control in order to, you know, rally students and help them. So it's really good for my job, but it's not necessarily so good when it spills out into our relationship. And I found that out the hard way. Um, And on more than one occasion, my need for control has caused some heated arguments between us. And it's especially seen when we're in the car. Jake is a fabulous driver, absolutely fabulous. I trust him with my life. But for whatever reason, when we're in the car, I just feel the need to just say, honey, stop. Honey, watch this person. Watch this person. Like, I know that he is totally in control, but I just can't stop those urges from coming out of my mouth. And so those things have caused quite a few arguments. Sorry, honey. Um, But thankfully... My husband is so forgiving and very loving, and even when I am driving him up a wall, he still loves me. But God has been pruning me of this incessant need to control, this incessant need to just tell him, like, hey, slow down, hey, slow down, because in reality, he has it. He's good. And although it feels like sometimes God is cutting this branch out of me with, like, a dull butter knife, I have seen the, it has been painful, y'all. I have seen the fruit of this pruning on so many occasions. When I choose to just shut my mouth or just to talk to him about something else besides driving, we have a better time together. Go figure. But, you know, I think it's important for us to remember that the reason that God prunes us is because he loves us. The reason he is trying to get this branch out of me is because he knows that it's not doing anything good for our marriage. And so those dead branches that we all have, he roots up and digs out of us because they are keeping us from being truly connected to him. Now, the second type of pruning that Jesus does is the cutting back. And so fruitful branches have to be cut back in order to promote even more growth. And so now that God has come in and he started to root up the ones that we don't need, He can help us grow even more in relationship with the ones by just cutting back the things in our life to promote more growth. 
So I know quite a few of you in here are gardeners. I can see that around town and in all the fields and know that I'm really envious because I'm not. I can kill a cactus like nobody's business. Um, but, you know, if you take care of plants in any, in any capacity, you know that they need a lot of TLC. They need water, nutrients, sun. And part of loving and caring for plants is that they have to be cut back. They need someone to come in and cut away the things so they can show their true beauty to the entire world. And I think that that's what God does in our hearts, too. He looks at us and he says, hey, I see that you have a whole lot of joy in there. Let me just cut a few things away so that joy can be brought even more to light. And he takes the things that we know about him in his word and he allows it to come alive in our lives. He continually clears the way so that his word can continue to root us deeply in the vine. And he prunes us in order to prepare us for the fruit that he is going to produce in our lives. And one thing that is important to remember is that in this relationship, the transformation that happens is a result of the pruning. And pruning can only ever happen if we we commit to remaining in the vine. Jesus goes on to say in verses 4 and 5, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus defined this new relationship that we're going to have, right? And he, when we're connected to him. And then he goes on to remind the disciples in these verses that their only job is to remain in him. He'll take care of the rest, right? He is taking care of our salvation. He has got a spot with, he's got a spot for us with him at the end of the day. And our only job is to remain connected to him. But remaining in Christ is more than just simply saying, Jesus, I believe in you, and calling it good. It's it's an intimate relationship that he is looking for. It's an intimate relationship of sharing thoughts and feelings and emotions that he wants. And it's a relationship we can all experience if we're willing to commit to remaining in the vine. When we commit to remaining in the vine, we begin to see Christ and his amazing love that he has for us. We see who we are in the eyes of God and the life that he has planned for us. And when I think about what it, remain, what it looks like to remain in Christ, I'm reminded of a children's story. And it's written by Max Licato, and it's called You Are Special. I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's an awesome story. And in this story, there's a town of little wooden people. And these, these wooden people spend their entire day going around sticking each other with stickers. And they have a sticker, a star sticker, that if you get a star, that means you're awesome. It means that you're pretty or you have a lot of friends or you have a lot of talents. If you get a star sticker, that means you're doing something right in this town. And then they have gray dot stickers. And these gray dot stickers were given to wooden people that had blemishes on their body, that maybe didn't have a whole lot of friends or didn't have any talents that others deemed worthy. And the gray dots meant that there was something wrong with you. And one wooden boy named Punchinello had only ever received gray dots. He wasn't super special. 
He was kind of clumsy. And Punchinello had received so many gray dots that he didn't want to go outside because he knew that once he walked out his door, he was going to just receive more gray dots. And he had gotten to the point where he had so many gray dots that people were giving him gray dots just because he had a ton of gray dots. And so one day, he met this wooden lady named Lydia. And Lydia had no dots on her. People would try to stick stars on her because they thought if she didn't have anything, that must mean she's perfect. And then when the star would fall off, they would try to stick a gray dot to her because the star fell off. And Punchinello was so amazed that nothing stuck to her. And so he ran up to her and he said, why don't the stickers stick to you? Why don't you have anything on you? And she said, well, that's because I go and sit with the woodmaker every single day. His name's Eli. And so Punchinello said, well, I want that. I want to go see Eli. And she said, okay, well, meet me tomorrow. Tomorrow morning I will take you to see Eli, the woodmaker. And so Punchinello got up the next day. He got dressed, and he was super nervous to go see this Eli. And so he walked up to the door of Eli's house, and immediately Eli recognized him. He said, Punchinello, I am so excited that you came to visit me. And Punchinello was kind of taken back that he actually knew his name. And so he came in, and Eli scooped him up and put him on his wood bench. And he started talking to him. And eventually, Punchinello asked Eli why the stickers didn't stick to Lydia. And, Punchinello, or, and Eli responded by telling him, well, the stickers don't stick to him because she values what I have to say about her rather than what everyone tries to stick to her. She comes and sits with me every single day and allows me to tell her what I believe about her. And Punchinello was amazed. He said, I want to be like Lydia. I want my stickers to be gone. Can you help me with that? And he said, well, I'll tell you what. Come and visit me every single morning. Let me show you and remind you how much I love you and how much I care about you. And Punchinello left that conversation not really knowing what was going to happen, but he knew he was coming back. And as he walked out the door, he believed that Eli really did care about him. And as he was leaving, a dot fell off. And I love that story. I love that story because it shows the beautiful connection that is made when we remain in relationship with Christ. The only reason that the dots started to fall off of Lydia and they fell off of Punchinello was because they chose to go and sit with Eli, the master woodmaker, every single day. You know, I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we've received star stickers or gray dots. And sometimes it's ourselves giving each other or even ourselves those gray dots and those stars. But those gray dots and those stars have a way of molding and warping our identity, identity to look more and more like something it's not meant to be. And I want you to know that those stars and those dots don't accurately re- represent your identity in Christ. And it is only through remaining in Christ that you can find your true identity. In him, we find the truest forms of ourselves. And when we remain in Christ and allow ourselves to be known by the Savior of the world, he begins to shape our identity. He reminds you that you are his, that you belong to him, that you are loved by him. He reminds you of the truth about who you are in him when you remain in Christ. 
When we remain in him, those stickers just start to fall off. The stickers that we've all given ourselves just start to fall away. And in place of those stickers, his light and his love starts to shine. But in order to experience this kind of love and this kind of connection, we have to remain connected to the vine. We have to be willing to sit with the master gardener every single day. In this passage, Jesus reminds us that our only job is to remain in him. When we commit to remaining in him, and and commit to remaining in him, we become more and more like him every single day. We become the people that he wants us to be. We experience the love and the grace and the care that only we can, we can only experience when we are connected to the vine. So Paul talks about this importance of remaining in Christ to the church in Colossians. Being rooted in Christ and committed to being in relationship with him isn't something that happens the second we become believers. But it's something that we have to continually root ourselves in. It's something that we have to continually work on. It says in Colossians 2, 6 through 7, So then, just as you received Christ, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul says, continue to live your lives. Do those things that help you remain in the vine. If uh, praying and reading the word, worshiping, gathering with other believers, all of those things help you to remain in the vine. So continue to do those things because it's not just going to happen on its own. It is through being rooted in relationship with Christ that we will begin to experience transformation. And we will begin to see the spiritual fruit that he wants us to produce. And the amazing thing is is that after we have started this relationship with Christ and commit to remaining in him, fruit will just start to happen. Producing spiritual fruit is not something that we can do on our own. Producing spiritual fruit only comes from being in relationship with Christ because fruitfulness is the inevitable outcome of being connected to the vine. If you think about it, an orange tree doesn't have to think about growing an orange. It just happens. It's naturally wired to grow an orange. And the same is true for us. When we're in relationship with Christ, the natural outcome of that relationship are the fruits of the Spirit. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control and gentleness. And, you know, we don't really have to think about those things because producing fruit becomes part of who we are and what we do. One thing I'm always reminded of when I read through the fruits of the Spirit is that I can't produce any of those on my own, or at least well. Um, And I think if we're honest with ourselves and we look at that list, we can see that it's only because of Christ that we are, we have the ability to love, that we have the ability to be faithful and all of those things. Fruitfulness in our lives points to the growth that Christ has produced in us because we are connected to him. The life of Jesus is flowing through us when we are connected to the vine. And it is because of that relationship that we have the ability to produce fruit. So Jesus wraps up his metaphor in a way by leaving the decision up to us. He says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So Jesus tells the disciples that if they do not remain in him and they do not remain connected to him, that like a branch that dies, they will be cut off and thrown into the fire. 
A branch that does not produce fruit is essentially useless. It's only useful to add kindling to a fire. And if we do not see spiritual fruit in our own lives, then there is a problem. And the problem is very clear. It's because we are not remaining in Christ. And if we're not remaining in Christ, then his word is not living in us. And this verse always reminds me to take a step back, to truly check my connection to Christ. How, what does my connection look like? Does my relationship with Christ produce things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those things? In Matthew seven sixteen through 20, it says, By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, this passage was meant to warn people about false teachers, but I think it applies to us here as well. That if we are not connected to the vine, we're like the bad tree that produces bad fruit. We cannot produce the fruit that Christ wants us to produce if we're not remaining and connected to him. The fruit that is produced in us through relationship with Christ is the outcome of remaining in Christ. And we have the opportunity every single day to remain connected to the vine. God has given us every single tool that we could possibly need to be connected to the vine. But the real question for all of us is, are we using those tools? Are we using those things to help us to remain in the vine? Are we just expecting that coming on Sunday morning will give us the checklist for the week and we're good to go? We have one job, and that job is to remain connected to the vine. When we do that, we will experience a connection that we have never experienced before and a love that can only be found in relationship with him. But the choice is up to us. A life of remaining in the vine is not easy. It takes work. And passages like these force us to take a step back and to check our connection to the vine. Asking those questions can be eye-opening. They can be kind of uncomfortable, but they're necessary. And as you go from this place today, I want you to think about what your connection to Christ looks like. Are you connected to the vine? Are there things that God is pruning you of that you might be resisting a little bit? Are there things that are definitely in the way of your connection that you're like, I just need to go in and get rid of this? Or maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, I've never had this connection. I've never been attached to the vine. And I want you to know that if that is you today, that the only thing that's standing in the way of doing that is yourself. I want to invite you to start that connection because it is a connection that you will never regret. But like everything, the choice is yours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage, Lord, and the way that it gets at our hearts, Lord, and reminds us of our connection to you, but also helps us to do the gut check of asking the hard questions of, are we connected to you? What does our connection look like? God, I pray that as we go from this place, Lord, if there's anyone here that has never had the opportunity to connect to you, that they would do that, Lord, that you would come into their lives and that you would attach to them, Lord, and that they would begin growing and loving and serving you, Lord. And God, I pray for all of us as we go from this place and we check our connection, Lord, that you would help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us to be honest with where we're at and our love and our connection with you. God, we thank you for this time and we thank you for your truth. Amen. And now if you will stand and sing hymn number 379, Take My Life and Let It Be.
Remain in Jesus Christ, and like branches of a vine, draw your life from him. And may God, the vine grower, tend you and make you fruitful. May Christ Jesus abide in you and give you life. And may the Holy Spirit cast out all fear and fill you with God's love. Amen.